I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, I'm here with Matt Doyle, MLSsoccer.com's very own. You can hear him on Twitter spaces, read him on MLS Soccer, catch videos, extra time, whatever it is. A multimedia, modern, modern content creator, Matthew Doyle. How does that feel? Uh, that feels just about right. I, I think like the, the, the hamster wheel of content creation <laughs> can never slow down. If it does, then what happens to us, Tom? What becomes of us? You, you rescued it at the end there. That sounded like one of those, like you said, the quiet part out loud. And, and it, it seemed like you're on the therapy couch. Like, yeah, like oh, I hate this so much. This is, this is what I don't have time for therapy. Right. So it, it has to be a <laughs> guesting on people's podcasts. That's where I get all the, all the bullshit out. Do we work blue on this one? Are you going to bleep? Yes. That? No, we're good. It's uh, a, right. I'm definitely not adept enough to do kind of post-production stuff. So here's what you get. I figured out recently that I was, because the one time that I did it solo, because I didn't want to annoy anybody for like to take their time up when I didn't know like how I was continuing, what I was going to do. I, I had, I didn't know that on, on recording on this on Zencast, you could just pause it. This was before I was doing it. I just did like quick time audio and I didn't know how to combine clips. So I talked for 38 minutes straight, no breaks, nobody else there, just going. And I like picked up my phone at one point halfway through and I was like, I'm dying here. This fucking sucks. I hate this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you learned a harsh lesson, but you're in a better place now. <laughs> exactly. It's such a, it's such a lift for me to figure out basic things on this, uh, this uh, good old internet. Um, speaking of, I keep on losing the rundown here. So yeah, today we're here for national team. We have 180 minutes left before the world cup. This is the last roster freakout before the big roster freakout uh media and fans alike have been preparing for the roster freakout we are in great form we're all in world cup form to <laughs> yell and complain and 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 give takes about the rosters this this was the curtain call so even before getting to the roster how do you feel about your your getting the takes out for the are you world cup ready for when this world cup roster drops in a couple months that, I, you, that you're in prime form ready to go i'm, I'm actually not i i don't know <laughs> like i i feel like my my energy is is more chill than the the moment calls for. Like I saw this roster, there's a couple of things you know I'm disappointed about, uh, which we'll get into in, in depth in, in in the rest of the show. But like I I I like that we have a coach who has like a clear game plan, like a clear vision mm-hmm. on how he wants to play, and is not just like. Um, I think I tweeted out something about like, like Quinsman was basically just like a random outcome generator. Like, who, <laughs> who knows? Like he's, this is a guy who started Jossie Zardes 30 times in midfield, you know? Oh my like, God. Like, remember those days, dude. Oh my a, God. It, like it, it's, it's nice. Even though there's stuff on a, on a very granular level and even big picture that I can disagree with Burhalter, but like he, it all comes from a place uh, like a thoughtful place and a place of honesty with him and he's like very clearly gonna try to get his team to play good soccer in the world cup and like the the pieces for how he he sees it are in place and i like i feel like i would be one of those dipshit outrage miners <laughs> if i if i didn't acknowledge that 
right? Like this this guy who played in two World Cups himself, played in Europe for a dozen years, uh, has been a very good manager for a very long mm-hmm. time, um, who knows, like who forgets more about soccer than you and I will ever know, mm-hmm. um, has has put together a really thoughtful roster and has been like uncharacteristically for any professional coach, very open about yeah. the thought processes in doing so. So like that took some of the starch out of me in terms <laughs> of like how pissed off I could get about who the third forward is or who's the sixth midfielder or do we, you know, like, like the fifth center back. Like I, I, I couldn't get worked up to an adequate, adequate degree. So no, I think I'm going to have, uh, a pretty poor showing this November <laughs> when that real roster is announced, Tom. I think I think the writing is on the wall for me. I'm I'm with you, but for similar but but different reasons. In that I've maybe it's just from doing you know being a professional air quote professional. It's a very loose term for me, but being a professional in in what we do for a living for whatever four and a half five years out of college now that like I'm mature definitely wouldn't be the right word, but I, I guess it's just becoming indifferent to some of these things like i don't get outraged about like roster spots 20 to 30 i got you wrote something similar in the column today and i'd plug it but i can't possibly imagine that if you're reading you're listening to this podcast you haven't already read it or chosen not to read it maybe just give them a click anyway but i don't it's i I don't find myself getting upset about many things and i I just do like the like bill burr has had like a really great bit uh however many years ago where it's just like learning the power of just going fair enough like fair enough, you like you you slightly disagree about the twenty fourth player. Like all right, fair enough. Like and then I have group chats with friends and stuff. They're getting outraged at all these things. Like somebody was yelling at me, like I can't believe that they dropped Stefan. I was like, yeah, no, he's hurt. And it's just like you're playing whack a mole <laughs> over all these like dumb, stupid takes of like people who are coming in just guns blazing, thinking they have the answers when they're not even operating with like any information. Like if somebody was was uh, complaining about either Ferreira, Ariola, and it was like so very clear that they haven't watched a minute of FC Dallas over the last year. Like the guy probably still thought that Ariel was on DC United. And I'm like, I can't even get worked up to meet that. And while it, the, the mentions in those group chats, these are just friends. I'm not, I'm not even making fun of like Twitter or anything. These are friends in my own personal life that like, I get, I, I'm like tortured by, cause you can't really get away from it. But at the other point, it's like, you know what? I, you know, I, I remember having that rage. I remember having that outrage and you know, I'm long live it. I long live it. No, I mean, it's, it's great because it like, it, it is great to have a fan base um, that cares. Yeah. Um, and even if some of them care too much and even if they uh, often care about the wrong things, it is, it is great to have that. But like, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I can't engage. And also shout out to our buddy, Ben Wright, who had the absolute best fan outrage to deal with today. Uh, <laughs> when, when a, one of Nashville fans that he, for those of you who don't know, Ben uh, freelances at MLSsoccer.com, does a lot of great coverage of, of Nashville SC. Uh, one, of, one of the Nashville fans that he's <laughs> regularly in touch with was livid that Hani Mukhtar wasn't on the U.S. roster. Absolutely livid. It's so great. It's so great. Oh, my God. And there's just so much, too. There's, like, so many games. It's so accessible. I feel like maybe that's part of it, too. It feels like you're, we're watching every game. And not just MLS, like, even, like, Bundesliga, Premier League, all this stuff. Like, you could watch anything always. It's, like, information overload. So, like, I find myself just taking steps back in terms of, like, the raw emotion. And, again, I miss it. You know, I get it for Liverpool sometimes. But even now, Liverpool starts with an awful beginning of the season. And I'm just, like, rationally, like, you know what? The last seven years, the last five years have been the greatest. Now, who's on the therapist couch? <laughs> Come on, man. 
<laughs> All right, that's enough. Let's let's get into it. The full squad is out. Um, I'd, I'd recommend using visual aids for this while I kind of joningly run through it. Goalkeepers, Ethan Horvath, Sean Johnson, Matt Turner. Defenders, Reggie Cannon, Cameron Carter-Vicker, Sergio Dest, Sergio Dest, Aaron Long, Chris Richards, Joe Scali, Sam Vines, DeAndre Yedlin, Walker Zimmerman. Midfielders, Kellen Acosta, Tyler Adams, Luca De La Torre, Weston McKenney, Eunice Musa, Malik Tillman. Forwards, Brendan Aronson, Paul Ariola, Jesus Ferreira, Jordan Morris, Ricardo Pepe, Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Josh Sargent. We're going to go position by position later. I imagine that you tuned out from the beginning to end to that. I do the same thing on podcasts. So first of all, just before we go to positional groups, what was your kind of biggest takeaway from this roster? And what are you, I guess, looking forward to, looking at the most? So those are, those are they're kind of like, there's they're two different questions, right? The biggest takeaway is that for Burhalter, his game model dictates almost everything he does, specifically at, at two positions, at center back mm-hmm. um, and at center forward. And the game model, he talked about this actually in the in the press conference on uh, on Wednesday afternoon after the, the roster was announced. His game model, you need center backs who are dominant in the air and you need center backs who can run, right? You, you need to check those athleticism boxes. Uh, Tim Marine, James Sands, Mark McKenzie don't really check those. Mm-hmm. So even though those three guys are all playing at a high level and all playing, uh, I would say, various shades of very well, um, they don't fit. If they don't fit the game model, they're not going to be on the plane. Unless, you know, if there's a, an injury or two, right. I'm sure something opens up. But the, the guys who are there ahead, like we knew Walker Zimmerman was going to be there. We also, we knew that Chris Richards, Aaron Long, and Cameron Carter-Vickers were going to be there. Mm-hmm. And like Long and uh, Carter-Vickers are limited in terms of distribution in a way. Well, I'm really getting to the weeds here, but like, <laughs> They're limited in distribution right. in a way that the three guys I mentioned, Sands, Reem, and um, and McKenzie aren't. But they're better athletes. Mm-hmm. They're better athletes. And, and if mm-hmm. the U.S. is going to press high, which they're going to do, you need you need to have that athleticism to defend in the open field from your center back. So the game model there, the game model for center forwards in, in terms of like dropping in, becoming a playmaker, releasing the, the wingers. Berhalter's not going to call guys at this point who, who don't check that box at a really high level. Yeah, so I think the big picture for me is that I had kind of been saying, you know, before Berhalter was hired, this was after after Kuva and when it was kind of the rebuilding phase and, and what's going to happen. And you looked at, at, at the core, what you hoped would turn into the core of just Adams, McKinney, and Pulisic. And I, I felt like I was saying for years, like I know that it, it's not always conducive in, in CONCACAF, but like the best version of those three players, and it turns out to be a lot of other players that came after him, like Brendan Aronson and, and you know, even Areola, some of the more kind of... Um, rotational air quote guys the best players best qualities are in transition systems so i felt like for years and at the beginning of berhalter's reign he was really intent on breaking teams down with the ball and and trying to dominate via possession and all this and like i felt like i was screaming into the void like just pick your best players and their best attributes this isn't you can't go into the transfer market here i know dual nationals the transfer portal like it's college football helps a little bit but just take your best players and play to their strengths so talking about that game model that indicates more and more that we're going to continue to see that. And that's what we're going to see at the World Cup. And going back to what you said off the jump, that he has kind of a, a long-term vision or a, a plan, again, whether you agree with it or disagree, that at least he's following some set of logic that he's laid out. That I think that's a really positive sign for me because I think that this team is at their best when they're running. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. And I think we saw that, like the final window of World Cup qualifying. Yep. Um, suddenly the U.S., and which is not... 
I, I, I want to layer. I want to add a layer here and say the U.S. had a bunch of good games in qualifying where they were all over the ball, where they were controlling mm. the game, where they were u- actually using the, the home game against Mexico, like mm. like the idea of disorganize the the opposition with the ball, like they were doing that all the time. But like you, I, I think the U.S. Are, are best when they're running, when they're creating multiple transition opportunities, uh, getting forward at pace, and in the the final. Uh, window of of World Cup qualifying, we saw that we saw them play against the ball. Like they played against the ball in um, in Mexico, they were mm. awesome. Yeah, in that game, you know, if if not for a couple of of pretty shocking misses, <laughs> um, like that, that would have been an absolutely landmark victory for the U.S. national team program, and especially in the U.S. Mexico rivalry. But just mm-hmm. the way they played, um, like the the they were so dominant up until about the 80th minute anyway. Um, so I think, I think, we're, I think that's the big picture, right? Yeah. Like, okay, he's completely leaned into it. And now from there, let's see, you know, let's see what happens in these two games. And if there are any adjustments that are coming. Yeah. And again, we'll see. And, and I, I understand the need for like, and that's why it was so cool. The last window when they played what Uruguay and Morocco, like, I feel like the same way in MLS that we watched New England play the Philadelphia Union about 100 times since since the pandemic season because of the regionalization. I feel like we've seen U.S. versus Costa Rica, Honduras, or Mexico, whoever, like a thousand times since, like, what, the 2014 World Cup. Like, it was just so nice to play, like, World Cup opponents from different continents and maybe offer different style with some different players. So, like, again, I'm looking forward to that again this window, and, you know, we'll see – what the wrinkles are, it won't be the same game to game, and it can't be the same game to game because all opponents at the World Cup are going to be different and the rotations or whatever. But again, as long as it's loosely or generally, you know, a, a higher tempo, a little bit more pressing, like I, I think that that's the best case scenario. Yeah, absolutely. So on, on to this roster, we've got three goalkeepers again: Matt Turner, Sean Johnson, Ethan Horvath. And I listed them that way in in specific because you know it's Turner and everybody else. Um, Injured is Zach Steffen, and I guess the only ones that you could say, you know, out of the pool for, for this camp would be Gaga Sonina and, and Josh Cohen. Yeah, is Josh Cohen in the pool? No, it, yeah. probably not, but he's a Champions League goalkeeper right now. And okay, who should yeah, have been they, signed to Atlanta United. I'm going to die in this hill. They, I don't – I have no idea. how they, they, that, they were in talks with Josh Cohen for months. This was pre-Guzan injury. I don't understand how the second Guzan went down, they weren't like, all right, sign the papers. Like, we'll up our offer, whatever it is. And Cohen ends up going back to Israel and is playing the Champions League. That that's a tangent has nothing to do with the national team right now, but I, I feel like I have to say it reflexively. Okay, are you? Did you mute yourself? Yeah, <laughs> definitely not coming up. <laughs> wow, the, the, my take was so scorching. Uh, I'm gonna pause it. Okay, and we're back now after slight technical difficulties. Um, Doyle, that's usually my domain, so I appreciate I appreciate that as a gift. I think to me, I was going I, my my Josh Cohen rant. I guess was so scorching hot that it that it turned out your mic. But um, anyway, so Cohen probably not in the pool. The only real like person left behind is Gaga Slanina, and I do think there's an argument that he should have been here other than Horvath. But again, it's moot at this point. Yeah, it, it is, and and Hor- Horvath has not been good at all in the championship I'm, I'm i'm ready to be off this roller coaster i'm i think yeah. i'm i think i'm done i think i'm good like we turner and stefan for now johnson for the veteran guy on the roster and then slonina as the air quote future so I'm, here's the I'm thing good. i don't i don't even think stefan if he gets healthy 
Tom, he's been so bad for so long. And now he's finally gotten a chance to to be a starter with Middlesbrough. And he got hurt after four games. And reporting out of Middlesbrough is they don't want him – like they don't expect him to come back and be a starter. It's incredible. They think he's a backup from here on out. And like at, at one point four years ago, this kid – you know, was very, very good. He he had a lot of ups, but then he basically didn't play for three years, mm-hmm. you know? And and when he's gotten on the field now, whether it's been for the national team, where he was literally the second worst goalkeeper in the entire region, um, or for Man City, who, like, if you saw the FA Cup, you know how that kept ending mm-hmm. for Man City over the past couple of years. Like, Zach Steffen is not a top three American keeper at this point. Um, it's It's a... It's a moot point, though, because I do think that, given the the you know the fact that he's not here, given that Matt Turner has done what Berhalter apparently wanted and and gone to a big team that uh, always asks their keeper to play out from the back, like Matt Turner's the number one. Matt Turner's the number one. So we're yeah. gonna see. I think we're gonna see 180 minutes of Matt Turner you know, in these two games and we'll see how much rust he's got on him. And hopefully, you know, he'll be the type of keeper who can sit for a month, then come into the game uh, and, and and play like he hasn't been sitting for a month. Because like I looked at Arsenal's schedule, it seems like at best he'll get six mm-hmm. games between now and November. Now that's not nothing, but that's, it's, it's far from ideal. So I think these two games, you have to use them all to get Matt Turner out on the field, you know, for the whole 180 minutes and, and let him go. Yeah, I'm completely with you there. And I I think that this is one of the things that have been overcomplicated when it really didn't need to be. This should have been Turner's job in the beginning of what World Cup qualifying. I look, I know it's a weird thing of me, but I prefer my goalkeepers to be good shot stoppers. I know it's a crazy weird thing. I I, I think about that before I think about their passing ability. And if nobody else on the, on the roster seems to have the requisite shot stopping ability or anywhere near Turner, I don't I don't really care. I just don't really care. Yeah. Yep. So I like I, I wrote this in my column. Like the biggest thing to come out of this camp, and it's funny to to think about it like this, but because there's like there's no other choice. the The biggest thing to come out of this camp is going to be Turner's form. Is going to be like, okay, does he look like a guy who can handle being the number one option, even though he's not playing regularly uh, w- with his with his club team? Uh, because if he doesn't, like, then what? It, but but then what? <laughs> is, right. is John Johnson the story? Like, I mean, so the thing is that like, I think it's extremely important. But like, I, I, if we're thinking about it in decisions, I don't. Then what? Like, I still think that he would be the best of of in that scenario, a bad option. But like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's. It, it is not, it is not an ideal situation, but maybe you know, maybe it can turn out for the best. We, we started with a depressing one, Tom. <laughs> well, that it's not my fault. That's where the positions lie. Um, we'll go to center back now. Walker Zimmerman, Aaron Long, Chris Richards, Cameron Carter, Vickers are are the four. I'm surprised that there was four rather than more, but the the guys who were kind of left behind, um, as you've alluded to before, James Sands, Tim Ream, uh, Eric Palmer Brown, uh, Mark McKenzie, and John Anthony Brooks, if he still counts in this category now. Uh, so again, I'm surprised that there's four because there was no limit on this roster. So I think that this shows this is the four that are almost locked in. And I, I think when me and you, we've been doing our, you know, roster projections for the World Cup. I think we've been operating under the idea that there's going to be five center backs. You didn't even bring five center backs to this camp. Yeah, 
so I like if I was if I was calling the shots here, James Sands would be here as the fifth center back uh, because he, first of all, he's playing center back at a high level. Mm-hmm. He also acts as your third D mid. He also acts as your third or fourth right back. He also is a natural in the middle of a back five. Played that position a lot for NYCFC. So if there was at any point a a reason to switch to that shape, you could just plug him in right there and still keep, you know, the two, uh, I guess, more physical center backs. Mm -hmm. Like I, that's who I would have chose, but like uh, Berhalter, obviously, again, it's it's a game model thing. Sands can't, you know, he's not going to run anybody down in the open field and that's make a break. Um, it's worth noting there kind of is a fifth center back because mm-hmm. Reggie gonna, Cannon, going there next. Yeah. Reggie Cannon plays as a right center back in Portugal for Boa Vista. Yep. He, he is, um, you know, he, he does not play in a back four it's a back five. Uh, but he is that sort of break in case of emergency type of center back depth that, Okay, I guess it makes I guess it makes James Sands extraneous. I guess it makes him uh, not necessary for uh, for this roster. More interesting than that, though, I think is the battle for the number two spot Absolutely. for whoever's going to partner Walker Zimmerman, and that is one of Chris Richards or Aaron Long. I think mm-hmm. Cameron Carter Vickers is down the list a little bit from those two guys. Yeah, I've, I mean, again, I still think that it is open, and I, I guess I wouldn't be completely shocked. But yeah, it is it is Long or Richards as the clear, you know, favorite one A one B to partner Zimmerman. Um, yeah, so it, it just depends what. You, again, you wrote it today that, that Richards hasn't been playing regularly yet for Crystal Palace, which is you know I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that in terms of like it's it's not like he went to a super low level. But I was reading over the summer that part of the reason that he was content to go to crystal palace is that you know maybe he wouldn't have accepted it not in a non-world cup year i think his expectation was okay they're signing me i'm gonna play every game so i guess that's a little worrying but again i i think that they're in safe enough hands with either one of those and cameron carter vickers and and again just to go on on a a slight tangent there are are players that are air quote hyped or big talents for a while like cameron carter vickers kind of was that for you know I, i mean maybe you have a different read on this than i do but he was kind of the air quote next young center back that was supposed to come through alongside Matt Miazga. So the fact that he kind of had went on, on the loan spree to a bunch of different places with Tottenham, it, it felt like it wasn't just going to happen for him. Maybe his career was going to be different. The fact that he's kind of back here now, I I, I want to point out just as, as a point to credit that it, it is cool that, you know, sometimes trajectories can change and you can make it back and, and development isn't linear is the big takeaway for me. Yeah. Development isn't linear. And yeah, you know, the door, unless you're an a-hole, the door <laughs> is never completely shut. And Carter Vickers played no role at all under under Greg Berhalter mm. until this summer, and suddenly yeah. he was he was in the camp. And like part of that was, um, you know, Miles Robinson's bad fortune was, was Carter Vickers' good fortune. I think yeah. if Robinson had stayed healthy, Carter Vickers probably, you know, he's either the fifth center back or we're talking about how he was one of the cuts yeah. from this camp. But you know, that's that's the way the sport is. Um, now back to to Richards. He's played 135 minutes uh, this since you know the end of last season. He, he uh, 45 of those minutes have come either at, at right back or left back as Crystal mm-hmm. Palace were trying to you know see out results uh, against like Man City and whoever else, and Liverpool. it did not did not go well. <laughs> um, 
90 minutes in the League Cup against, I want to say, a League One team at center back. Uh, he didn't look great. He, he looked rusty. It's a worry because I think that Richards has the highest upside mm-hmm. of any center back in the pool. Um, that includes Walker Zimmerman, obviously, mm-hmm. includes Aaron Long, includes Carter Vickers. Um, and at one point last year, uh, from, I want to say, the end of o- October, so the maybe the Jamaica game was that, right. to uh, the Canada game, he started <clears throat> four or five qualifiers for yep. the U.S. Two yep. of those were with Zimmerman. Yep. So they have some relationship. They have some comfort playing together. They've done it in the past. They've done it in games that matter in the past. Um, so that's reassuring. But look, if, if you're not playing position, if you're not playing regularly, um, that's the opposite of reassuring. That's <laughs> that's worrying. And then that's where the the, the door is open for, for Aaron Long to come in um, and maybe stake a claim that, that he's the number two guy uh, on, on the depth chart. Yeah, and this will continue to be a thing because, again, Richard say he could win a starting spot soon. And then if the Red Bulls are bouncing round one, I, I think I forget the dates off the top of my head, but I think that's like October 18th, something like that. Like he yeah. could be sitting for more than a month before. So then uh, then you go back to, okay, now he hasn't been playing for a month and maybe uh, maybe Richards has been playing for Powell's. Again, these are all hypotheticals, but the point, like, I don't, we're not going to get a definitive answer on this. This is something that we're going to continue to monitor moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And But this will be, I think... Um, how these two guys perform in this camp, and we'll throw Vickers and Carter Vickers in there mm-hmm. as well. How these three guys perform in this camp, I think, will go a long way towards laying the groundwork for how Burhalter um, allocates minutes and uh, sort of lays out his expectations in that pre World Cup camp. Now, yeah. th- th- there's a tactical point I want to make here. Um, you know, Burhalter said it today. We want goalkeepers who can run, or we want uh, defenders who can run and defend in space, right? Which we Long has had to do that for five years, six <laughs> years with the Red Bulls, right? Like he is a super athletic dude. He's in the, like ninety second percentile and up in basically every athletic measure that we have uh, in MLS via mm. second spectrum. And I've, I've talked to some of the guys who, who you know, run teams in, in the Premier League, and they say, yeah, you know, his measurables meet our criteria. Don't be surprised if you see Aaron Long on a Premier League team once he's a free agent in January. Is there way. a former New York Red Bulls coach in the Premier I, League by chance? I, I would not be able to discuss that. But anyway... <laughs> um, but there's, there's a specific thing, and we saw against Morocco, when the U.S. are pressing, and the U.S. are a pressing team now. He did, in, in, Ber, in Berhalter's interview with Andrew Wiebe uh, two weeks ago now, you can catch on the, the MLS YouTube feed, um, he, he talked about how he had this sort of tactical, uh, I'll say come-to-Jesus moment, in January of 2020, where he he scrapped the sort of mid-block 4-4-2 for a high-pressing 4-3-3. He's been working on the different pressing principles for that front three uh, and, and for the midfield, how they want to cover, how they want to pick up, who they want to release. We'll talk more about that in the next segment as we get to midfielders. But one of the things that is crucial to that is on those outlet balls over the top that teams, every team in the world, even Man City will hit one of those balls yep. every now and again just to get out of, out of trouble. He wants his center backs to win that ball and put the ball directly back mm-hmm. 
into midfield where the second ball has to get won by Tyler Adams or, or Weston McKinney or Eunice Musa. And hell, against Mexico, that was I th- that was like the, the, the basis of the game plan. Like just daring Mexico to try to mm. beat the U.S. over the top and win second balls in midfield. And like it, it worked perfectly. There is a play in the, the friendly against Morocco from, uh, was that May or, or June, mm-hmm. where it's, it's that exact scenario. The U.S. are pressing. They've got Morocco on the back foot. Morocco's trying to play out. Eventually, uh, Akraf Hakimi just says, screw it, and, and you know boots it long. Morocco's got a couple of really good center forwards, guys who are Bundesliga mm-hmm. uh, you know, or, or Benfica caliber center, like the types of guys that the U.S. will be playing against in the World Cup. And Long rises up, and he wins that header, and he plays it directly back into midfield to Musa, to, I want to say, Aronson, to Ferreira, and it's a one-on-none. you know, one on none. And, and the, the Morocco keeper made a great stop. Yep. It should have been a goal. Like, that exact play is a huge part of this game model that we're talking about. So there's a people who don't understand why Long has been in literally every camp for Burhalter um, as long as he's been healthy. And, and he's been in a, he was in a half dozen caps <laughs> when he wasn't healthy. <laughs> like there are very specific plays and very specific front foot reads that he makes at an elite level that mm-hmm. it is like, we have not seen Chris Richards make that read. We do not like. We do not see Cameron Carter Vickers make that read outside of Scotland, which is you know essentially a USL caliber yeah. league. So like it, it, it's very clear what Burhalter is looking for. And one of the most interesting thing, things to me will be to see seeing whether Richards, when he gets a chance, makes that read, makes that play, wins that ball, and suddenly gives the US boom another chance to have a little semi-transition moment and go directly at goal. Because if he doesn't show he can do that, I like, I think it'll be long. It'll be long. It, it'll, it'll be Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman. I think that's the thing I've been trying to point out too. And this is the last point before we move to fullbacks, but like long, there's a, like you said, there's a reason why he's been at every single camp. Like he was Zimmerman before Zimmerman. Zimmerman wasn't even getting called in. And like, now he's like an indispensable player. And, and you know, I disagreed with that at the time, but there was a reason why Aaron long was, was always there because he fits this so well. And that's, I like, I don't know. There's, there are some players that transcend, you know, okay. He had kind of a bad game for the Red Bulls or Pulisic isn't playing for Chelsea. Like they're going to get called in and like pool six playing time with the national team isn't in question. Maybe longs is, but like, I don't know. I, I think that there's a longer lease for some players just because of the way that they fit or they're, if it's pool, like a raw talent level, same to Gio Reyna. doesn't matter if he didn't play for three months, if he's fit, he's going. So I don't know. There, there, these are things that I don't think get pulled into consideration. And then they, they become what about isms of what about Jonathan Brooks? Like I played a bad game and that's why they said he's out. Like, these things are all different, and it is, it's is—it's in the eye of the beholder. It's in whatever the tactical setup is. And again, I think that that gets overlooked so often with Aaron Long. Um, moving to fullbacks, there are a lot here. There is Serginho Dest, DeAndre Yedlin, Reggie Cannon at right back, and Joe Scali kind of, but I think that he's going to be more at left back with Sam Vines and Scali. The guys that would have been left behind, uh, Shaq Moore, Dewan Jones, John Tolkien, and George Bellow with uh, Jedi Robinson is out injured, or he would obviously be in there at left back. So, that's a lot of names. That's a lot to talk about. I think right back is straightforward. And then it depends on if you want Cannon as the 
third right back slash right center back or Sands, and we've kind of discussed that already. So for me, this camp just comes down to is Sam Vines or Joe Scali going to win the backup left back job? Yep. Yep. And for me, I think that the Jedi's end line to end line mm-hmm. motor, his ability to create penetration and width um, was inimitable during correct during qualifying and for for that reason um if if it's not sam vines i'm worried because sam vines is like for like you know he's not as good as jedi uh is but you know when jedi was 22 he struggled with the national team as well Mm -hmm. right sam vines is 23 now He's starting and going 90 uh, every week for the top team in Belgium. Now, you could say that Joe Scally's playing at a higher level. He very clearly is. Uh, he's playing pretty well as a right back That's uh, with, with Borussia Mönchengladbach. But he does not provide width or penetration when he's playing as a left back. He, he doesn't. He's a different type of player. So I think it gets back to that game model. I think the game model changes so much if – you know, Anthony Robinson first game picks up a red card mm-hmm. or pulls a hamstring or, you know, God forbid or anything like right. that. So I, the, the, the thing I care, I don't give a damn about what we see at right back. Like we all know Sergio mm. Dest is the first choice by mm-hmm. a mile. And I don't really care who the backup is because I think they're all relatively the same level. Um, but for left back, I, I will be disappointed and worried if Sam Vines does not have a scorcher of a camp. Me too, and and it, it is important with all of that context because again, Dest can also play left back, and Scali can play left back. But playing as an inverted player at left back, it, it comes with its own issues as is. That that doesn't doesn't mean that that can't happen. But for this group, I'm I'm not sure. I don't think that there's a left footed left winger. So if you have Pulisic who's drifting in from the left wing all of the time, that's how he plays, and that's how he plays in the system. Gio Reyna would probably be the same if he was playing on the left. Insert Jordan Morris, he, he likes to get more vertical, but it's still, you're in that kind of half space, and you, every first instinct is to take the ball with your dominant foot and sh- uh, face inward. If the left back has to be a traditional overlapping left back, or the space gets all crumbled, we look at this all the time. Scally might be more talented than than Vines, and and you know I probably go as far as to say like right now, given what their levels are, it might be a little bit indisputable. But at left back, playing with your dominant foot and just the little like you you cut up a, a bunch of clips when I believe it was against Morocco when uh, Scally was at left back, the field shrunk because he was again his natural inclination as any other right footed player is for the most part is to come to your natural side and to come to your preferred dominant side. So the field's getting cut in half, and again you have. If you have the same line of players doing that, you're losing a dimension, and it it really has to be a, like an overlapping fullback. I was I wasn't as worried about this because I thought it would work itself out. I thought one of Vines or Bello would show it and prove it. Thank goodness that Vines is playing well for the club to start the season. But like you said, if if he doesn't show it, or at least a modicum of that, or at least enough promising moments, that's going to be a huge worry. Because we wrote this, I don't think that that you know we keep trying to say, it, but even at that. That's a huge problem. That that is like a that's a tournament defining problem. If Jedi Robinson gets hurt and there's nobody to back him up, like for like, you have to cha- make a lot of changes off that domino effect. Yep, and that is other than you know keeping my fingers crossed that Matt Turner looks real good. Mm-hmm. Like my biggest concern from this camp is to see that. Like I like hopefully whoever it is, whether it's it's Scally or Vines or you know. 
maybe John Tolkien sneaks in at some point, like something crazy happens. Um, hopefully, whoever it is doesn't have to play a minute. Hopefully, yep. you know, Anthony Robinson is, is completely healthy uh, and, and completely indefatigable, like the entire time that the U.S. are in Qatar and that we don't worry about it. But like you, you can't plan for the best case scenario. Yep. You kind of have to plan for the worst. And the worst is that one of these guys have to st- uh, step in and it, given the situation now that like I think the knock on effects from having Scally or even Dest out at, mm. at left back, they're too great to account for. So I am rooting really hard for Sam Vines to have a good one. Yeah. And I ha- I was talking to somebody um, in Belgium that it seemed like Antwerp were not thrilled with him at the beginning. He, he got injured. And it seemed like they were in a market for in the market for another left back. I'd heard that from actually a couple people. So it it's super pleasantly surprising to see how well he's doing it and how well he's kind of nailed down that position for Antwerp. Um, moving on to the midfield, we've got Tyler Adams and Kellen Acosta as defensive midfielders, and then the expect the expected first three of the number eights being Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, Luca Della Torre, plus Malik Tillman as that final number eight. So Doyle, that leaves Eric Williamson, who I think we were both rooting for to get the call, and I, I kind of expected it. James Sands, I guess you count him, and then Gianluca Busio and Georgi Mihailovic are the other ones kind of left behind. What do you make of, of this group? I, I, we wrote that, you know, there wasn't much to talk about at defensive mid unless you put Williams in there. Um, and then in central midfield, the, the, the three to go for the two starting spots, it's, you know, I, I like this is really we're arguing about the 25th and 26th spots on the roster. Yeah, we are. Um, that said, it, I am, you know, very, very, very mildly concerned that neither Sands nor Williamson looks to be in the frame because one of those two guys would be the third choice demon, right? Like if, yeah. if, if uh, you know, Adams picks up a red and uh, Kellen Acosta gets an injury, then who who starts who starts demon? Like, it, it, are you going <laughs> to go McKenny and Musa because neither of those guys play that that role for for their clubs and obviously neither does Tillman neither does Luca De La Torre um so like that that is that is a a, a concern I just want it noted on the record um but as is it, it came down to I guess Williamson or Malik Tillman for that the final spot on this roster and the fact that it's Tillman it, it does seem to indicate that the sort of double pivot that Burhalter toyed around with in um, in June might be might be on the menu here a little bit more than than we'd have thought because Tillman like his I think his most natural position would be as that kind of like box arriving number ten mm-hmm. um, and certainly that's I mean McKenney's played a ton of time in that role for Juventus over the past few years. Uh, and now with Musa playing central midfield for uh, for Valencia, and he's such a dynamic ball progressor, which is a way, something that Tyler Adams struggled with as a as a D mid um, for both club and country. Like it, it does seem pointed towards towards a four two three one. Yeah, and that would make a lot of sense. Again, I, I am. I did, like I said, I did hope to see Eric Williamson. Like, he started the Gold Cup final, so he was yep. clearly in the plans, or at least in the picture. And then after coming back from an injury, like, I think that he's proved over the last six or eight weeks in particular, or even more recently, I guess, one of the best number eights in the league. Like, Portland, he's irreplaceable for them, so maybe that's playing into it for me as well. But I don't know. I thought he did enough. And when we get to center forwards, you know, I thought that 
you're kind of at a spot with Williamson and Brandon Vasquez. It's like, what, what the hell else could they realistically have done to be here? So I think disheartening would, would kind of be the first word that comes to mind for me. Just, just, you know, it looking at their shoes. And again, there isn't, like, he's the best bet for the third choice defensive mid just in the pool in general until I guess some of the, like whoever, you know, comes out of, of the U twenties or, or the, uh, the U 17s. But again, well, I think with that, we're a little bit further away, but you know, people will come out of nowhere I'd imagine. And particularly we'll see with the first, you know, post world cup site, uh, camps. But again, this is where this is all focused on, on this November and, and this world cup. So yeah, uh, Williamson, I, I was kind of hoping that was going to be there again. If, if you're planning for kind of doomsday scenarios where I guess theoretically, when you have Tyler Adams, who's been very injury prone in his career and, you know, count across things happen for defensive midfielders. So I don't know. Stuff. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is. So we're, we see eye to eye there. Um, where are you on Luca De La Torre? Cause he's played what 15 minutes all year for Celta Vigo. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, again, I thought that he was going to stay in the Netherlands. I, I thought, you know, a move to Spain makes sense for him, like his profile him stylistically. But again, I, like, I don't know, man. Like I thought that he was turned into an overqualified backup. I was, I was super pleasantly surprised that I didn't think anybody could really replicate what Yunus Musa was doing. And Luca Della Torre did that. And I thought that was super valuable. So I like, for me, I'm just not really worried because again, it's, it's, it's McKenney, it's Musa, and then Della Torre is air quote second choice or air quote a backup, like whatever you want to call it. And particularly if they're playing that, you know, four two three one, I think they'll be fine. There isn't a spot for him unless that you're rotating. And at a World Cup, you know, people who are smarter with sports science than me, like at a World Cup, depend, unless that something's wrapped up, I, I want to see McKenney and Musa being starting every single game. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But like, okay, so if, if Musa goes down, though, right, if Musa can't start a game, you have to rotate the squad. It's that four-two-three-one. This does open up the chance for like, okay, instead of just doing a like-for-like like thing when Dela, because like if Delatore is too rusty, mm-hmm. doing a like-for-like like thing, you could drop Weston McKenney back to that deeper line with with presumably Tyler Adams or I guess Kellen Acosta if things have gone mm-hmm. that direction. You can drop Tyler Adams or Weston McKenney back, and then that opens a chance to put either. Tillman, like we talked about, mm-hmm. or Brendan Aronson, right. or even Gio Reyna as kind of a, a kind of a number ten. So I, that's that is tactically and formationally something that Berhalter like very specifically put in play with the June camp. Yep, and I don't I don't think it worked great, but I understand like a part of the reason why it wasn't perfect was. Because Musa just like he didn't have a lot of reps as a central midfielder, mm-hmm. so he would get lost like any time with a double pivot, right? One guy stays, one guy goes. That yep. that is like the the baseline understanding of how a double pivot works. And like if Tyler Adams is out there playing in double pivot, he's going to go press. He's going to go upfield, and he's going to try to force a turnover as quickly as possible. And that means it's his partner, Eunice Musa, like his job is to suddenly be a pure number six. If Tyler's gone, you have to be a pure number six. You have to protect protect the back line. There are very specific, very kind of simple rotations that you have to do yeah. there. Musa was not hitting them. He he like he looked lost. Now he's 19 years old. Hadn't played that position before for the national team. Hadn't played that position before for his club team. He's playing that position now for his club team. Very good Valencia team in the second best league in the world every week. When you're that age, when you're a talented kid, um, you improve rapidly. I so I am less worried about that than I was back in June 
when it wasn't clear that he was going to suddenly be a central midfielder, which is his best position uh, for Valencia. And, and off the front of that, you delineated it better than I think I did when I was pretty much saying I'm not worried about Luca De La Torre. I think it was more of a, me not being worried about the central midfield group because Brandon Aronson and uh, Gio Reyna can play there. I, like, I know that me and you differ a little bit on whether we rate Aronson as, as a number eight. I do, and particularly if they're playing a pressing system. Like, that's why I'm not worried. There are so many options there and so many good options because, again, McKenny Musa and Adams, that's kind of the, a, a real strength of this team. And then you have Brendan Aronson, and that's just another way to get him on the field. If he's, again, if everybody's fit, then maybe he's the odd man out in attack. So, I don't know. I just think that there's enough options there to not be worried about. And, and we were, you know, waxing lyrical about the backup left back which uh, for 10 minutes, which is, you know, pretty classic for, for you and I. That's the backup left back. Like, I'm, I'm not worried about this group because there's so many different options when, whereas we're kind of talking about with Vines, it feels like, all right, like that, this is it kind of in, in terms of planning. Like, I don't know. I just think that there's enough options that, that I'm not, not worried about it in central midfield with McKenny Musa, Della Torre, and then Aronson, Reyna, Tillman, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so onto the wingers as we're talking about Reyna and Aronson. Uh, I think we'll just do both sides. Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Brendan Aronson, obviously just three absolute locks. And then the others here are Paul Areola and Jordan Morris. Uh, for guys who missed the cut, I just put some question marks because, I mean, Matthew Hobby didn't even make the bench for Middlesbrough. I don't know if that was an injury thing that I missed or not, but I don't think there are other options. So it, I think this, all, this whole camp comes down to it. Wingers is like Ariel or Morris playing for a roster spot. Yeah. Um, and oh, Christian Roldan, sorry. sorry yeah, like the Christian Roldan has always been listed as a midfielder for the U.S. And, um, you know, like he, he's injured. Tim Weah is injured. Weah is a Oh, lock. my God. I'm an idiot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Way is a lock in the same way that that Reyna, Aronson, and, and Pulisic are a lock. Um, yep. Yeah. I like. I I don't have a whole list of things that I that I like super care about from this group. Like, I don't think we're going to learn anything new mm-hmm. from this group unless Burhalter takes this opportunity to play Pulisic on the right. You know, that's my hobby horse. <laughs> um, Pulisic, like, he has not played a ton on the right. Uh, in recent years, but when he was younger, he did, and he was so dynamic. And he did, like, he plays such a more direct, such a simpler game when he's on the right. He's always attacking that space uh, behind the opposing back line, always threatening to get in behind, doing all the stuff that made Tim Weah so good mm. during during qualifying. He said, like, Kalishik's a better player than Weah. You know, he's got the, he's got the same speed. Um, you know, he has this, like a better 1v1 ability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, he's, I think, a slightly better passer. Uh, so I, I like the idea on the right uh, of him playing on the right because I think he's better there. But also because he, like, he was legitimately bad on the left for big segments of qualifying. Yeah. He, like, Pulisic is, is the most talented. Well, either he or Reina is the most talented player on the roster, roster but, like, it, like it's like he feels the the weight of that number ten. It's like he thinks he has to be, you know, two thousand eleven peak Messi dribble six <laughs> guys for any touch to to matter. So like if you go back and you watch U.S. games, he just comes back to midfield. He stands there pointing at his foot, like that. That is like that. That's not how you play the position. But and then he, it, he he sure did play the position that way a lot and it it worries me because it like our best player spent a lot of time actively making the u.s worse 
Yeah, I mean, I like, like it sounds harsh, but like when you go back and watch the games, you remember kind of being in those moments. Like that's completely true. There were so many moments where he dribbled into a wall, or or as you said, like he was demanding the ball at his feet. And, and again, he's got really really good one on v one ability. But again, like going back to where, where I was saying, kind of at the jump, like just think back to those Dortmund days or think of his best moments in a Chelsea shirt. They're all in transition on the run where he's just killing dudes in, in the open field or being really decisive. And yeah, there's just so many moments where it wasn't that like, again, this is another one that I'm not worried about. I think that he's, I, I don't know. There's just something about him. And the fact of, of whatever he offers is that maybe I'm coming back to it as a decision. Like, I don't think that there is a decision. It's, you know, you try to do whatever you can to get him in his best form in his best role in his best spots but look any game of consequence he if he's fit he's starting yeah absolutely there's there's no there's no real question of that but i i just think it it fits him better and it fits the team better if he's starting on the right and the the flip side of this is that i think both aronson and gio reyna are better when they're inverted on the left yeah because those guys First of all, like very good playmakers when they're facing the the whole field, um, which you get a chance to if you're inverted. Um, but neither have that blinding speed to get the edge mm-hmm. when they're playing on the right, right? Like neither one of those guys um, is just going to show a defender his heels the way that way and Pulisic can. Um, so and Aaronson really, only does because I don't think he ever stops sprinting. So right, right. at some point, somebody else has to stop sprinting. And <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair, right? He has <laughs> he has like he has like B minus speed and A plus 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 stamina. <laughs> you know, he he maxed that one out with his D twenty roll. Um, <laughs> but it, it like so, I like I I think that you know Ariola and 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 Morris are, are clearly fourth and fifth yeah. on on this current depth chart. Um, and then would be fifth you and sixth of the way out, like you said. Right. I think only one of those guys go if, if the the top four guys. I'm completely fine know. with that. Like I don't think anybody, you know, I don't think anybody in the world really disagrees with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the, the so the that given that the only interesting thing we can learn here is if Burhalter is willing to consider Pulisic on the right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's played him as a ten before. I don't I don't know if he's ever played him on the right. So. Hey, we'll see. He's he's come up with tinkers. He's come up with things that have surprised us, um, whether uh, positively or negatively. Um, all right, center forward. It's what everybody's talking about. Um, and again, great judgment uh, for me to start with goalkeepers rather than center forward. We're getting to it at 50 minutes here. Um, center forwards in this camp. Jesus Ferreira, who both of us have been saying for months, is a lock. And then the next couple spots after that is is what we're all looking at. And for this camp, it went to Josh Sargent and Ricardo Pepe, who has not scored a club goal for, I don't know, year now whatever it is maybe more um and then that leaves behind brandon vasquez haji Wright, and jordan Pifolk. doyle what do you i'll I'll start with burhalter's quote of something to the effect of so it's not a quote it's context saying that he wanted they don't want to give up on pepe and they want to see if they can kind of help his confidence as he's getting his you know feet wet in the netherlands you know what do you make of that selection in the final pre-world cup camp uh so uh, I'm going to say the game model stuff again, right? Like, like clearly Burhalter likes what Jesus Ferreira brings as that kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, check back into midfield, link play, not target play, but like literally right. like on the ground, link play, become a playmaker, false nine stuff. And that's why he is number one on this depth chart. Um, if you look at the advanced numbers, 
uh, he like he led the entire hexagonal or ocho octagonal <laughs> in in uh, expected goals and assists per ninety. Um, the U.S. as a whole put up better numbers, underlying numbers, um, when he was on the field in terms of per ninety. Um, and you know he's backing it up with a, one of the great um, seasons that any twenty-one-year-old forward has ever had in MLS. I think only Stern John back in nineteen ninety-eight. Um, had more non-penalty goals as as a 21-year-old. Um, so that's why he's here. The reason Josh Sargent's there is because he, like what what got him on the radar of, of some of the biggest clubs in the world in the first place as a 17-year-old, he does all that stuff. Like yep. he does all the Jesus Ferreira stuff yep. really well. Um, what he hadn't done for years was do the actual number nine stuff of making good runs uh, finding chances in the box, one-touch finishes. Every every great striker in the world, their greatness, the 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 you know the the bedrock of it is that ability to get into the box for one-touch finishes, yep. finish off pullbacks, crosses, through balls, whatever it is. Um, well, Sargent was on the outside looking in because he didn't do that, and because he played as a defensive winger for you know a bunch of bad teams. Well, he was playing as a defensive winger because he didn't do the forward shit. You know, like he was. I, mean, I don't know. I, I like. I don't. I don't. Know what What would the difference would have been for any player versus a couple of those teams? Like, man, do you remember how often we had to watch Vetter Bremen? I, I do. I tried to black it out, yeah. but uh, there's not enough mezcal. So like, I, I think I, I gave up on Norwich last year pretty early, and I think that was good for my sanity because I was like, I've, we've seen this shit before. I don't want to. I don't want to do it. Right, but what right, we hadn't on. seen, what we hadn't seen before, is what happened last month, right? When Puki right. got injured, uh, Sergeant got a run of like four or five games in a row at center forward. He was really good. He was doing all the stuff that, like, in, in terms of. of setting up defenders off the ball, double moves in the box, you know, getting, you know, timing his run for perfect, you know, one-time finish into an empty net. Like, okay, if Josh Sargent does that, then he actually gives you all the Jesus Ferreira stuff and the mm-hmm. ability to do some target forward stuff because he, he's not a big brute, but like he's a, he's a big enough dude. Like he played in the Premier League, he plays in the championship. Like he, you have to have a certain level of physicality and he brings that. So I think he can give Burhalter the ability to play the type of soccer that Burhalter wants while opening up the avenue to maybe be a little bit more direct, to play over the top sometimes, to do some like very basic hold up play. Um, so that like it's exciting that he's here. I still think out of every forward um, in in potentially in the uh, in the pool, he has Josh Sargent still has the highest upside. Mm-hmm. Um, he showed it for three weeks last month, and now he's back in the national team. I'm totally okay with that. The Peppy thing is weird though. It yeah, just- I think that last sentence mirrors it though. I, I think that that just means that you know this kid. You know, I know a lot of hype went into it and a lot of selling at the right time. And to the right owners for FC Dallas went into it, but this turned into a twenty million dollar player. Like it's clear that folks in Europe, scouts over there, the national team, they view his ceiling at it to be what it is. Clearly, like again, P folk right now is scoring goals in Germany. I know that he he leaves much to be desired in in build up or whatever it is. Haji Wright scoring goals in Turkey. Brandon Vasquez is scoring goals in in MLS. Like Pepe's not doing any of that. But the ceiling is so high, again, that has to be the only reason why he's still here. And again, I disagree with it because this isn't the time to worry about potential. There's one camp before the World Cup. 
it's about the right now. We get too seduced by potential. We get too seduced by these these kind of elusive, alluring things. Like, Brandon Vasquez is scoring goal right now. Haji Wright scoring goals right now. Jordan Pifok is. And I think, again, Vasquez being out, it. I don't know what else he could possibly do. And you wrote about this really well, all the numbers and everything, all the anecdotes of why he's so good, both as a vertical threat and as a target holdup player and as winning fouls on top of all the goals that he's scoring. So, again, this is a player that I really would want to see here. And look, if if it was Haji Wright or Jordan Pifok over Vasquez, I'd be, you know, fair enough. That that's close enough. I get it. But Ricardo Pepe hasn't scored a goal in a year. Yeah. I don't I don't care about potential right now, two months before the World Cup. Yeah. I I I feel you. I feel you. It it is like if there's a if there's a surprise on this roster, it's that Pepe is here and neither Pifok nor nor Vasquez is because yeah. look, you know, you're right. P Fock leaves some stuff to be desired, but um, if it's the 85th minute and we're down three to two in an elimination game and you know, we're, we're in the hashtag tactics free zone and we're just throwing <laughs> the, the kitchen sink out there. Um, I, I want P Fock on, on the, yeah. you know, I want him in the box, man. I, yeah. I want him, it, you know, winning headers, maybe even scoring uh, the, 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 you know, tournament saving goal for us. I believe uh, much more strongly in his ability to do that or Vasquez's ability to do that than I do in Pepe's. Um, I still think this window is open. It's very clear that Berhalter is going to take three strikers. Um, Mm -hmm. I still think that even though Pepe's in this camp and even though he is presumably going to be playing every week now for, for Groningen, I still think the door is open for either Pifok or maybe even Vasquez to uh, to st- to sneak in here and and claim that essentially the 26th spot on the roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put those two ahead of Haji Wright, who doesn't do the hold up play, who not comfortable coming underneath at all, and really isn't much of an aerial threat either, even though he's a big dude. So it, it, I I don't think it I don't think the book's closed, um, but it'll be interesting because if if Pepe comes in here and like gets minutes and scores a goal, then like, maybe it is. Yeah. Uh, fair enough on that. But uh, I, just, I don't know. I feel like we, we thought that over and over again for a couple windows. And, and as you know, we thought that for Augsburg and then a new season, like I thought it was really good by us soccer to not bring them into the, that main, that, those main June games, just, you know, Hey, give him a break. It's been a while. It's been a lot for this young kid. He had the, it started off with his decision to represent the United States over Mexico and then everything else, the whirlwind that, that happened over the next, you know, six to 12 months. So I thought that was good. Uh, but yeah, I th- I, right now, I don't know. Um, again, maybe it's it's a lot of just, just why, again, watching Brett Vasquez so often and watching what he does. And it, at like, you know, we talked about Cameron Carter Vickers in terms of the, you know, post-hype, you know, the career didn't go exactly how it planned. And then it kind of came back around. I thought that, that he would have earned a chance here. And I think that that, you know, you say the door's open. I'm not sure it is because he hasn't been in any of these camps. Like, like unless that there's a, a ton of work going on behind the scenes with assistant coaches and the players who aren't there. Like, I think that's way too much to ask. If, and we're talking about game models this whole time. That's too much. So, to ask. so th- here's the thing though. Like, I, I think if he does come, it's for that kitchen sink role, right? Yeah. It's for that, that like, it's the end of the game. We're, we're just going to be getting it in the mixer, go out there and be big. So I don't, I don't actually think it's, it's too much to learn right. if it comes to that. Um, and like, who knows, you know, if, if Pepe doesn't impress, if Jordy Pifak, um, 
who, who's it should be said whose underlying numbers right now uh, are not great. Uh, but like if he stops scoring and Vasquez takes the snub uh, in the same manner that I don't know Landon Donovan did in 2014 oh. and starts lighting it up in MLS and, and leads his team on a big playoff run, like the, maybe there is a chance to sneak in for um, for that final spot on the roster. But we are, you know, we just did the backup QB thing. Right. We just spent a lot of time and a lot of energy talking about a, a guy who or three guys who, yeah. if they make the roster, probably not going to play. It's like it's probably like the, the bulk of the minutes are probably going to go to Ferreira and, and Sargent because they fit the game model. And that brings us all the way back to the start of the show. Right. Like the game model matters so much to to Burhalter, and that's not to say he's inflexible but mm. he knows what he wants and like I'm the biggest Brandon Vasquez guy in the world but like even I will say Ferreira and Sargent bring more of that to the table than Vasquez does sure and and bringing it back around before we're done laughing about we we were saying you know, I just don't have it in me to get up for the 20th to 30 roster spots. And then we spent the entire hour talking about the, the 20 to 30 roster spots. Uh, so that that's the kind of um, hip, hypocrisy. Uh, so maybe we do have it in us, though. Maybe we, maybe we are ready. We need, to watch, we need to watch clips of, of the Landon Donovan. I still remember where I was when, you know, I was a young, well, I think I was just graduating high school at that point when he wasn't called. I remember that. And so maybe maybe we need to watch those clips, remember what it was like, and then we're ready for that visceral reaction when the real world I was at training. I was at, I was there Ooh. when it happened. I, like, whew, never forget that one, man. Yeah, that was wild. All right, and we're in a new era of the U.S. national team. We're about to be back at a World Cup for the first time since then. Uh, this is Matt Doyle, MLSsoccer.com. Matt, thank you for joining the latest episode of Managing Expectations. Um, I'll do it. Anything, unless you have anything to add? No, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm just sure. watching Gio Reyna play Man City right now. I'm just, like, praying for that young man's hamstrings. That's it. That's all I'm adding. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.